When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Oh, it's working. Thank God. I can hear you. That's superb news. You want so beautiful. Even, you want some even better news? Go for it. That's right. I've tuned my guitar. <laughs> oh, God. I admit it's quite hard to tell. That's, uh, that, that sounded really lovely. I'm not sure I was quite ready for that. That was... <laughs> Too much, too much good news for one day. We have Calvin here as well, hopefully. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. How are you doing? Right. Very well, very well. Coming from Portugal. Ah. Which, which particular seaside town do you find yourself in at the moment? Setubal. Ah, lovely. Ah, yes. Over, yeah, over the bridge um... and far away. Sorry? Over the bridge and far away. It's where all the rich people from Lisbon go at the weekend. Yeah, they, they love a bridge in Portugal, don't they? I noticed that um, on the way from... I mean, there's about seven in Porto, and then uh, we went over a huge one to get down here in Setubal. So we came on the yeah, bus, yeah. so, yeah, oh, absolutely wow. love a bridge. Yeah, well, that, that particular bridge as well, having spent quite a lot of time sitting on it, because, like, on a Friday, after about midday, you just can't move on it. It's ridiculous. Right. There you go. Yeah, that's that's my, would... my Setubal knowledge. Um, <laughs> shall, we, shall we start? Yes, go for it. The live version. That's a treat, isn't it? That that was beautiful, James. That was Thanks. so wonderful. Well done. I don't done. Even know if that's the same as the original composition because I can't remember what I did because I basically played it in the studio and then produced it massively. I, th- I think next time you do it, I'll come in with a few us <laughs> from Adele. <laughs> yeah, just get the full, full effect. Yeah. Um, this is officially the midterm review of the French Open. It's a nice moment. 
um, because of where we are in the respective draws. Because I think, am I right in saying all the tennis have finished? I've just got back from choir practice, so I've missed the last two hours of it. Not quite, not quite. I'm, I'm watching some of it now. There's Altmaier and Karina Buster going on. And there's okay. one women's match to, that's not even started. I, I'm not actually sure what's happened with that. On so Jabor and Danielle yeah. Cutlands. Yeah, I know they were waiting around with a lot of rain all day. Um, well, all, they, I think they got there at like half eight in the morning. Yeah, they were second like, on or something. Yeah. <laughs> and they for 12 hours. I mean, Calvin, you'll know from working with players, I imagine days like that are an absolute nightmare. Yeah, terrible. I mean, it, you, there's nothing you can do about it. It's quite funny, actually. Well, it's not funny, really. But um, when when lockdown started um, and pretty much we couldn't go anywhere, it was quite easy for tennis players because everyone was saying it was pretty much just like being at uh, a futures tournament when it rains. You're pretty <laughs> much just you're just stuck in your your room watching Netflix, and that's, mm. um, and days can just go by like that. Um, but but yeah, it's gone. If you're net, presumably you have to be there and sort of in a state of constant readiness, that must be exhausting. Yeah, because, I mean, they'll give you a not-before time. So if it's raining, you'll always have a not-before, so depending on what the rain's like. But then that, that sort of differs depending on the tournament supervisor and the refs. Like, there, there was one in Greece not long ago where he just pretty much, at about half-past 11, he just said, no tennis today, because uh, <laughs> it was raining. And then at about half-past two, everyone was out there practising in the beautiful sunshine, but he turned <laughs> the tennis off for the day. But, um, right, okay. yeah, it, it, it's tricky if, it's, if there's no... Um, if there's if if you don't know sometimes like you know it, you can see it set in for the day and you can pretty much have a pretty solid idea you're not going to play it's if it's sort of sporadic that it's the worst mm. and that, ten, go on george i was going to say 10 a.m tomorrow morning for ons and danielle they're back 10 on so okay. we'll, we can leave them out of our quarterfinal predictions and that, and that way that actually means we'll get a winner out of one of you after the beautiful tie <laughs> of our <laughs> great game unless the comedy of errors Unless there's Tennis' first ever recorded draw, uh, <laughs> which, I mean, given some of the names involved in the quarterfinals of the women's draw, isn't, isn't impossible. Uh, but we'll come on to that. Uh, George, I know that we owe you an apology because I criticise, well, I'm going to apologise on my own. <laughs> I'm big enough to understand when I've made mistakes. And on this occasion, I slammed you for picking a few first round matches that I thought were not worth predicting. Uh, which were the ones you're particularly proud of? Well, Daniel Medvedev, Marcin Fuksovics, I think was the one I got particular grief for. That you, know what? Out... I, you know what really annoys me about that as well? If I'd thought about it for two minutes, I'd have been like, yeah, actually that is an upset waiting to happen. Like Medvedev, I'm right in saying he's never won a main draw match at Roland Garros. Correct. Which, uh, well, why? Let's, let's get into that straight away. Why? He's obviously a very good player. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't really know the answers, to be honest. I mean, he kind of showed a bit of form on clay last year, didn't he? He beat Novak on clay. Um, So, you know, there's certainly nothing particularly wrong with his clay game. Obviously, this year, I think I'm right in saying he didn't actually play between the US and the French. Or did he turn up to Italy? I don't think he did play in Italy, did he? No, he played one match. He played one match in Hamburg, actually, I think. Um, yeah, he did. He lost in straight sets. He was the number one seed. He lost in straight sets to Hugo Umber. Yes. So, you know, yeah. he didn't get a massive amount of clay. And I, we spoke a little bit about the transition from hard to clay. I don't think Medvedev's a natural clay mover. 
Mm. Um, so I, I think he probably would need a few more weeks to kind of get used to it. Um, but it was weird because he said he thought the slower conditions were going to really benefit him um, because there'd be less kind of spin coming against him because of the kind of heavier conditions. But it, I think James was, you, I think it was you who was saying maybe you thought that the flatter shots might be carried out with a, a bit more wind. But yeah, I, I, I just think that he hit such a flat ball that, you know, if it's windy and wet and the balls are a bit dodgy and the courts are a bit dodgy, like he hasn't got a lot of margin for error. Um, I, I don't know. I, he's obviously not got a good clay game. I don't like when you say, oh, he's obviously got a good clay game. I don't think that can necessarily be true because he keeps losing in the first round. Of running, <laughs> well, which... he, he, he's shown he's had a decent clay game in other events. This year is a bit of a freak, isn't it? I mean, I, I think that's going to be a recurring theme of a lot of what we're going to say today. Um, but it's the, not a freak because he's lost every time he's played the first round. No, no, no. But I just mean <laughs> h- him losing this year, I wouldn't necessarily put down to a bad clay game. I would put down to, you know, the fact he's not had much time between New York and Paris and not had much chance to get used to clay. I, I think he's someone who requires a few matches to get up to scratch, to be honest. Um, well, he certainly, when he gets on a roll, I mean, you look at that run he had, was it last year or the year before when he won five tournaments in a row? You know, when he gets on a run, he's obviously someone who thrives on it. And I think he also is someone who really misses out on not having the crowd. He clearly just loves winding them up. And, you know, I always think with with some players, they're so sort of hyperactive mentally that it really helps them to be able to, like, just get pissed off with someone 40 rows back halfway through a rally. I think it helps them because it sort of distracts them from their own problems. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think that's definitely true. You know, Medvedev's shown he can use the crowd being against him to his advantage. Djokovic, you know, we've so seen many times do that. Um, yeah, it is definitely a factor, and a lot of players, I guess without the crowd, are kind of playing a lot more freer, which I'm sure is something we'll come on to, particularly looking at the women's draw maybe this time. I mean, yeah, that is about as random as it gets. You question whether all of them could perhaps do it with fans. So, I know um, Calvin has his <laughs> strong thoughts on how these aren't real <laughs> grand slams to a degree if the wrong person Yeah, wins. I, think it, I think it just has, it definitely has an effect. It, it sort of takes away the anxiety from players having to... Uh, perform in front of fans and uh, it's funny because I was talking to a couple of my friends last night about the the madness of the football how that started um, and we were saying that it, it can only be because they're, they're almost like practice matches like no one can defend I, I'm so, so glad you brought that up Calvin because I was going to oh. say the exact same thing so for those of you who don't know I'm an Aston Villa fan and James supports Liverpool and Aston well, Villa scored seven <laughs> past Liverpool yesterday which is virtually unheard of but to be honest I have been taking it very much with the caveat that had fans been there I think we'd probably lose that match because you know as we, when you go to Villa Park you know Villa have actually led Liverpool a couple of times and we played them recently yeah and, we traditionally played terribly against Villa yeah and, and I was thinking when I was watching yesterday so we took a 1-0 lead and then Barkley missed a sitter for 2-0 and normally that's the moment where the crowd kind of goes, oh, here we go, we know what's coming, and it turns around. But Villa kind of just kept going, as you said, kind of a bit... Uh, it's probably too reductive to say it was just because of there being no fans. But, you know, the lack of tension there definitely helped us, I think. 
But yeah, I mean, um, I think like in, in, in these in this in this French, it just I, I've not actually watched loads because I'm working um, in Portugal and and sort of where I'm working is going on at the same time as the French is being played. But I've seen a fair bit, and it just looks such a grim Grand Slam. I mean, it's like dark and it's overcast. Everyone's wearing tracksuits. There's no fans there. It, it just it, it can't feel like a normal slam for the, the players. There, ha- there have been a couple of matches I've been watching recently. It's mainly the French-based ones where you are getting a bit of an atmosphere. Yeah, I've um, seen there, there were some fans in there. Yeah, for Ga- some Gaston few team had a little bit, didn't it? Um, I didn't see any of that. And there was... What was the one I was watching? I was watching Fiona Ferro. Fiona Ferro, yeah, um, Sophia Kennan earlier. That was that that had a bit of a bit of bite from the French crowd. Um, yeah, but, but for yeah. most of the French players, it probably suits them not having a French crowd in. Well, I mean, they, they, a lot of them do pick up first round wins, which maybe were missing this year because the crowd was like more spread out. Is kind of my mm. theory. So that's perhaps one factor. Like normally. You know, I think, was it Mahu last year had a couple of really good wins, even though he'd been in dreadful form and was kind of about to retire. He seemed to just be completely carried over the line by yeah. a raucous French love. And maybe a, one or two stories of that might have been lost. Um, but, I mean, well, I know we'll go on to Gaston later on because that in itself was a bit of a yeah. fascinating story. But um, yeah, well, the, the, fir- the first thing we're supposed to do, George, is review our predictions. Because, yes. Um, anyone who listened last week will know that George basically sort of tossed a coin and then made Calvin and I uh, predict, uh, what was it, 14 first-round ties? Yeah, and so we finished 7-all. Which was, in some ways, your own fault, and it finished 7-all. <laughs> I kind of, I'm struggling to find the list amid our incredibly long WhatsApp. But the, uh, well, the I was other... wondering, did you record who selected and who, because obviously we took turns to select oh, from the got... other one. Just yeah, I've, I've got the list. Got selections. Yeah, so, so I've got the list. I've got so, seven yeah. wrong, James. So I've got the list in order, and I believe Calvin won the toss, didn't he? So I can tell you who I selected did, yeah. what. And, and, okay, right, yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I can tell you now. This so the first match, Calvin selected Andy Murray to beat Stamba Brinker. Get in. So that obviously turned out to be quite a bad pick. <laughs> but in the second round, James then decided to pick another Brit, Joanna Conter, against Coco Goff. Oh. Uh, and that turned out to be a bad pick, I think. Oh, wait. Oh, James, maybe you picked Coco Goff for that. Oh, I've, I've messed up with what I've written down here. Oh, for goodness. No, I, I, picked, I, I said I wanted Goff. I think James okay, so James did pick Conter. That's fine then. Okay. So round three, Calvin took another Brit, which turned out to be a really bad idea in this tournament. Because again, <laughs> yeah, we'll come on to. Um, so Calvin took Dan Evans against Kane Ishikori, uh, which, you know, it was, it was a good effort from Dan, wasn't it, to, to be fair? I mean, he probably close, should have won close. that, really. I mean, the I guy's thought... the be- he's the best five-set tennis player there is. Yeah. Could have won it earlier, really. He lost um, that, was it the third or the fourth set where he got fourth dragged set. into a tiebreak after serving for it? Yeah. I think yeah, he lost, think yeah, he lost the third, didn't he? But like Dan Evans doesn't play many matches where he doesn't have an opportunity to win. Yeah. And then the next round we had James, I think, took Vondrasova, didn't he? And Calvin was gifted his favourite female player, Sphere Tech. Yeah. So okay. that, that was nice of James to let him have her. And again, so, so we'll come far, on to her. We've got, and I, I, I almost <laughs> want to stop with George, because so far what's happened is we've picked four losers. <laughs> Yeah, but that changes with the next one. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Calvin rightly selected Roberto Batista Agu to beat Richard okay. Gasquet. So that, that was correct. Uh, then James picked Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova to beat Svetlana Kuznetsova, and I believe she did win that. Yeah, she did in three sets. Yeah. With two breadsticks. All right, okay, we're then, on. Then Calvin took Daniel Medvedev against Martin Fuksovic. So yeah, after all your complaining, that. James, you, you were I'm gifted Fuksovic. I was so unimpressed. <laughs> then the next one we had James taking Annette Contevice and Calvin taking Caroline Garcia. So, so Carol, I ch- I chose you chose Contevice, yeah. And Garcia came through. That's not great. Then this one was another one that was heavily criticised. And, and to be fair, Sissipas did win this. But it was mighty close, wasn't it? I mean, James, you were you were seven five up, I believe, in all our fixtures. And yeah, Jaume Munar was two sets to love up. No, I thought I was in. I thought I was quitting before Sissipas came back. So Calvin did obviously pick Sissipas for that, and that mm. turned out to be right. Oh, the other one that I was very pleased to talk about. I can't believe I've not mentioned it. Need <laughs> Lover. How much longer we could go without mentioning the all-time great that is Anna Karolina Schmedlova. So Schmedlova. Who also took uh, out Victoria Azarenka. Yeah, well... Never in doubt. Yeah. Never in doubt. So James picked Venus Williams anyway, and obviously Calvin was delighted to get the goat Schmedlova to beat her. Yeah. Um, Calvin then wisely took Dominic Team against Marin Cilic. While a good match on paper, that was always quite one-sided, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, then James, you took Fiona Ferro correctly Get against in. Heather Watson. I mean, that, um, I, I feel like that's a bit of a gimme. Picking, like, God bless Heather, but um, we'll we'll come on. To, you know what? That's not a bad point to transition onwards. The the, uh, the upshot of all, George, is it was seven all, and our next round of predictions is for all the pennies. Yes. Um, didn't, didn't I? I thought well, we missed one there. Cause didn't there's I two to go. There were two to I go. I picked against Sinner, didn't I? Yes, that, so that was going to be the next one. So Calvin went against someone he and I have spoken about at length many, many times, and I couldn't believe he wouldn't back him in this great opportunity. Well, I've picked, I've picked him for every <laughs> other match this year. And <laughs> so he, David Goffin was who you picked, and that obviously went badly wrong. And then the final pick was James taking Laura Siegmund, who did beat Christina Mladenovic. So that was And a whole good. lot of other players. I mean, uh, and I think, as I said on the night, Christina Mladenovic basically played the singles just to get a feel for the court these days. Um, she's by no means necessarily there to actually make an impact in the singles. Um, but the reason I wanted to segue neatly from Heather Watson is that everyone will have now read and processed and we're a week on from her pretty um, heavy criticism of essentially the whole way British tennis is run. Um, and Calvin, I know that you, you've obviously been involved in grassroots tennis for a long time and know that the way the money is distributed well, because that uh, sort of cut to the chase a bit is at the heart of it, I think, is who gets money is at the real heart of it. Is that, is that fair? Uh, it was one of the things I think she was hinting at, yeah, because, and that is sort of a major part of player development, um, I guess, in any country, yeah. Uh, and and the system as such, I mean, basically there's two ways of doing it and then there's lots of ways in the middle. You can either spend a lot of money on a few players or spread it around on lots of players. Where would you see yeah. at the moment in Britain? So basically in Britain at the minute, they, 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 they've gone more towards spending a lot of money on a few players. Uh, they have what they call a PSP, which is a player support package or player scholarship program. I forget what, they, what the actual yeah. name of it is. It is a um, scholarship program, but, but yeah, support for, package for, is what it is. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and basically, that's about 10 players. I don't think it's a set number, but it's 10 players who they do the LTA. Go on, sorry, George. I was going to say, yeah, I think it, it's, it's 10 to 12. I think they, they have a maximum of 12 they can give it to, I think. And I think yeah, there are 12 um, on there now. And there are um, certain criteria that, that, that the players have to meet. It's sort of a matrix whereby by this age you have to be of this ranking. Um, and that sort of secures you um, after a meeting um, a, a support package which basically will fund your tennis for the year. Um, I th- I've, it's circa around £70,000 and that includes all that includes your coaching and your travel and that kind of thing so basically that's what it is there, there's another smaller package that they do underneath that which is a, sort of a grant of about £10,000 to, to a few players who are just underneath that um, and, and players can get it, it it's basically a two year contract um, on that deal uh, on the PSP deal and you can get it for a maximum of five years so and if you what get sort it, of age does that kick in for players? It kicks in at uh, when well, it's a, it's a profession. It's professional, so it kicks in when they're sort of eighteen, right? I mean, or, uh, or when they turn pro, which is why Paul oh, yeah. got it in April. Yeah, so exactly, he yeah. wasn't pro, so he probably would have been getting it a year ago if he'd have decided to, you know, yeah. sack off the rest of college. I know he has kind of sacked off some of college, but if he'd have sacked it off a little bit earlier, he probably would have got yeah. it a little bit earlier. Yeah. But. And you can get it for a maximum of five years. So the minimum, unless you do something wrong, unless you sort of have disciplinary issues or that type of thing, you've got it for a minimum of two from when you first get it. Mm-hmm. And it's a maximum of five years. So that, that's where they've gone at the minute where, where they've gone sort of a lot of money to a fewer players. And it, it well, let's face, I mean, the reason the debate was sparked is because, it hasn't seemed to have worked. I know it's very reductive to take one tournament where no Brits made the second round and say, well, British tennis is dead. But it's a fair point. We haven't had a Brit past the second round of a slam in the last 18 months. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, Cam got the third, didn't he, at the US? Uh, the US Open, yeah. yeah. He's the, I th- I'm pretty sure he's the only one to have been to the third round this whole year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's 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 not a good state of affairs, is it? In the singles, at least. No, it's not. And I think the the other thing that's worth kind of adding to what Calvin's just said there is that they are moving ever further away from the bigger pool of players with these academies, which are, you know, I, well, Calvin will tell you this more than I will, but there are certainly a lot of issues with these academies already, particularly if there's one up in Sterling that there's been a lot of stuff not really widely reported at this stage, but kind of behind the scenes, there have been a few problems. Um, well, on the face of it, just, just to fill people in who don't know, on the face of it, there are essentially 16 places in each of these academies. And it's like you're there from, I think, 13 to 18, residential, run with local schools, so combined with your education coaching, physios, sports psychology, that's the idea, isn't it? I suspect the practice is very different. Yeah, it's, that's, it's, it's up to 16. One of the problems they had at the start, and I was around when they sort of put, put the idea forward for the academies, it was, it was almost a shambles because they were saying that they'd only take the top two players from each year um, to go into the academies. And so that would be, say, if you took the top two boys and you've got two academies, so you'd take one boy and put him in Sterling, one boy in Loughborough. Yeah. Like, who are they going to practice with? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's almost like that had, not, that had actually not actually entered anybody's head. 
and then the top two didn't want to want to do want no, might not necessarily want to go all that yeah. type of thing and then then you're going down and it's so I don't actually, yeah I mean but they're for, they're for younger players though that that's not what with the, the, the pro scholarship the PSP is not for that that age group they're for sort yeah. of yeah. fourteen and fifteen but but I suppose what I was just saying is that. Th- that step in itself yeah. is taking it younger, isn't it? Which I think yeah, yeah, we'd all yeah. agree is kind of, well, look, look, I, I was going to say we all agree. I mean, I think there's a lot of kind of anti-academy chat from people and I'm kind of slightly of that position, but I'm also of the position you can't really tell with this thing <laughs> until 10 years time, if it's going to work or not. And that, that's the kind it's of, we've been there before. Thing. That's the thing. This is not, yeah. you know, the Academy route is not a sort it's of groundbreaking path. We've done but that before. Say, and we got rid of it. Yeah. But I guess you could say if they implemented it correctly and you believe Simon Simpson's formula was perfect, which I, I'm, I'm not saying it is by any stretch, but I'm just saying one of the yeah. issues you have with critiquing this sort of thing is that you kind of need to see where it ends up. Um, but yeah, and yeah. that's that's the difficulty. I don't I don't agree with the approach right now. But going, but going back, to that's the, the sorry, Josh. Sorry, going back to the funding thing though. So and we talk about you know so the, the argument against it is well you know you it's sort of quite exclusive and, and you're only give why not give it to more people? And I think that's kind of what what Heather Watson was saying. Mm. Um, but the problem with that then is is if you got and I'll give sort of specific examples. I've worked with a couple of players who who haven't had much money who were trying to sort of make their way in tennis. And just in their example, but there are a lot of other people like this, that if you give it to to sort of more people, they obviously get less money. So rather than the sort of £70,000 that, that they rightfully sort of say cost to be a touring tennis player, you sort of give each player, you give like, I don't know, 50 players £5,000 each. That's just a drop in the ocean. Whereas if the players have got no money and they have a shot at getting the whole thing paid for, it helps them more, if that mm. makes sense. And the, the argument, what, what, would be, what would be a better argument was maybe it should be means tested because what you'll find is the players who currently have the PSP, with a couple of exceptions, would comfortably be able to afford to be professional tennis players without the help of the PSP. So, so I mean... The mean, means testing is obviously something that works and it, it's a pretty simple method. The other thing that Jamie Murray mentioned when he was talking about it is it being more of a meritocracy and that at the moment it doesn't seem to have much of a merit-based system. Is that, is that fair? Is that true? No, I wouldn't say that's true because they have a, the, the criteria on which it's given is quite clear. They, you have to meet a certain ranking at a certain mm. age and if you meet that ranking at that age then you're very much in the mix and the likelihood, is it, the likelihood is you'll get that money. The problem is, mm. is if you don't have the money in the first place, if, if you're, say, a 19, 20-year-old and you need to meet a certain ranking, which is a tough ranking to attain, and you don't have any money to get out to the tournaments because we only have about six World Ranking Futures tournaments in, in Britain, mm. then how you're ever going to find your way up to that ranking? So would you be better off taking that money and spending it on putting together another four or five futures in the UK so that your players don't have to spend that money going abroad to get those points? Well, this has always been my sort of gripe with this type of thing. If you're not going to give players money, then you have to give them the opportunity to earn the money. Yeah. Otherwise, you're, you're just leaving them in limbo. And mm. I spoke with, I, I tweeted about this just an hour ago, I spoke with an Italian coach today, and it's Italy are doing phenomenally well, especially yeah. in the men's game. They have, I think he said that they have 10 players currently in the top 100 
and there's another couple on their way in the shape of Massetti and I forget the other lad's name, um, who's the other younger lad who's coming through. They have in a in a in a standard week in most weeks of the year they have a futures tournament going on somewhere in Italy. Mm. Uh, they have between five and seven what they call national money tournaments with the winner getting between 1,200 and 1,600 euros. And on some weeks as well, they've got a challenger tournament as well as that. So some Mm. weeks you'll have a challenger tournament, a future tournament, and seven money tournaments going on all around the country. To give some context, in Britain, we have six futures tournaments throughout the year. We have about four challengers in the summer on the grass, and there's what we have as the British Tour, and there's one of those per week, about there's maybe about 30 per year, um, and the prize money is between 200 and 400 pounds. I mean, and, it's, it's, it's a stark difference. Just the guy you're talking about there, Lorenzo Massetti, he is 100, he's 18, he's 143 in the world, and he's the Italian yeah. number 13. So there are, yeah. Yeah. Know, in the top 135, there are 13 Italian players. And but it's it, it's a staggering arrogance, though, that we we can look at what it, and this is not a new thing that Italy have been doing. They've been doing this now for seven or eight years. Mm. It, it's a staggering arrogance that we look at that, see how successful that country is, and it's based entirely on them just sticking loads of tournaments on and going, no, we're not going to do that. We've got a better idea. And can, I, and can I just say on that point, I think the reason this sort of thing gets so much airtime, because, you know, obviously it is worth remembering that there is a lot of chance that goes into building singles players and all that, you know, there's no yeah. guarantee anyone's going to make it. But the big gripe with British tennis is we're a Grand Slam nation. We've got, you know, £50 million coming from Wimbledon every year that's being gobbled up ridiculously by the LTA in many ways. You know, that that's where the big criticism yeah. comes. You look at their financial records and you are really questioning where is all this money going? And the fact, okay, they've built these academies and they're going down that route is fine. But the fact we've not got this system sorted after all these years, after all this money's been poured in, we're in such a great position to have what should be a good system that it does automatically always, come under scrutiny like this. We always have the same thing, though. What happens every time is that we go, right, we need to put more money into grassroots and participation. And there's a scheme that goes on there and it's just not accountable this grassroots idea of participation, it's just not happened. It's like we're never going to be, tennis is never going to be the number one sport in Britain. But we don't, we have all this money into participation and we don't put money into, into competition. It's madness. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. And I think the idea, the Grand Slam Nation thing, I think is significant. What I think it needs is someone, and this is going to sound like management speak now, but it does need someone with a lot of vision and it needs a body with commitment to that. Again, Jamie Murray said this earlier last week where he said, look, there's, there's no ethos in British tennis that has been consistent. You get one guy in, he's got a few ideas, he lasts a few years, someone else comes in, new ideas, different things. You have to have a commitment that really goes through. And, and George, you said it there. You don't know how these things work unless you stick at them for 10 years because you only then see the results. If you take German football and all the success they've had, they realised that when they got to the World Cup semi-finals in 2002, they were lucky and they didn't deserve to be there. 
so they had a, a root and branch review of the system had changed everything that they did and they stuck with it in a cohesive way between club country now look that's not a model you can necessarily copy because of the way tennis is but the lesson to learn is that if you have a consistent ethos that you actually stick with for a prolonged period of time at least you know if it works or it doesn't and quite often it does i think i, sh- I should come in here and say this at this stage that a few years ago before when roger draper was at the back end of his sort of tenure as the chief exec of the lta was that his title chief exec yeah pass yeah yeah so he was we weren't there but we were on a decent path to what i'm talking about with the competition the yeah. british the british tours had you were getting about 800 pounds if you won one and there were plenty of them the team tennis was pretty good if you represented a team that was making the finals or the last four in the the national club league you could make a fair bit of money out of that you can make about 7 or 8 grand out of that and we were having more futures and we were on the right path when Roger Draper left, and this was only, I'm going to say this was only maybe seven years ago, and Michael Downey came in, he ditched all that. He didn't want money going into competition. He, he wanted all money going into Parks Tennis because he said that's was, that was the way that we were going to do this, through Parks Tennis. So all money came out of British Tours and National Club League and went into Parks Tennis. And I saw Roger Draper not long, about a year after this, and, and he said to me that, he wishes he'd have done, done something differently, but the one thing he was proud of was what he'd set up with the British tour and the competition structure. And the first thing he, they did when he left was they tore it up. And this is where we're at now. And presumably in three years' time, someone will come in and tear it all up and it'll all start again. Well, I mean, where, where, where are we on parks tennis? You know, what's going on with parks tennis these days? Because you know, that, that was supposed to be the, the saving grace of British tennis only five years ago. Mm. Well, I think it's currently illegal, isn't it? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Should we move on to something a bit more positive? Because I think there are some real success stories, you know, much British disappointment, but some real success stories from the French Open, uh, most of whom you were already keen on, Calvin, so I'll give you some credit there. Uh, (laughs) I I wonder if we should start with Sviatek. I can't say her name properly. Sviatek. Yeah, Sviatek. That's okay, Sviatek, there we go, with the V. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is a player you've sort of been saying will do big things for a while, Calvin. Yeah, I first saw her um, at Wimbledon maybe two years ago, two or three years ago. Um, and she played one of the British girls, um, Emma Raducanu, who's also a very, very good tennis player. Mm. Um, and in the girls, this was the girls' singles, and she absolutely destroyed Raducanu. And that's that's no mean feat. I think it was love and one. And I text a mate of mine who works in sports management at the time, and I said to him that this is a superstar. Um, you need to be having a look at this player. She's um, now um, she's now a Grand Slam quarterfinalist, I think, for the first time. Yeah. She's got a heck of a good chance as well. She's playing Martina Trevisan, the Italian qualifier, who's had a sort of dream run and, and beaten all, I think, three seeds on her way. But nevertheless, you would expect Sviatek to win. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of a breakthrough tournament, you know, it would be easy to overstate this tournament because obviously it's a little bit unique. But it'll still give players like her, you know, who are looking for that first handhold, a massive boost, won't it? Yeah, for sure. I think so, yeah. Uh, if only because it you know, it gives you a massive rankings boost and all of a sudden 
you're getting into a lot more tournaments that you might ne- not necessarily been getting into before. Is that right? Yeah, I'd say so. And you know, but I think in her in her case though, you know, I think she she's she seems a very confident girl, and she she knows the path she's on. She's she's going to be in the last stages of slams a lot going forward. Mm. It's not going to be one of those who we see have a bit of a run and then they're they're ranked 110 in the world a year mm. later. She, yeah. She's going to be top 10 in the world, nailed on. And, and in fairness, this, this is not her, you know, she got to the fourth round of the Australian earlier this year. She yeah. got the third round of Flushing Meadows, you know. It, it's sort yeah. of her first rodeo, but also it's not. She, yeah. she's, she's got everything as well. I'm going to jump yeah. in there. I mean, there, there is not a shot she doesn't have. She's got great variety. She's got power. She's a great player to watch. And I'm telling you right now, anyone beating Simona Halep at the minute, one and two, don't care if there's fans there or not. That is a, a serious, serious result. I don't think Halep was completely awful either. I think the Swiatek took that r- match off her racket completely. She is okay, yeah. a phenomenal I mean, player. Occasionally you see juniors, and, and this was the case when I saw Swiatek playing in the juniors, and, and you think they should just be in the women's or the men's, that they're ready already. Um, yes. And, you, you know, and I think that was the case. Sort of, I think it was the same year I saw Felix Oger RCM uh, in Junior Davis Cup, and it was evident then that he could already be ranked in the top 80 in the world in the men's. Hmm. Well, an exciting talent anyway. She's only 19. She's born in 2001, if anyone wants to feel really old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think she's a youth Olympic gold medalist as well, albeit that's in doubles. You know, she's she's done her her due diligence, if you like, moving up. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, there's also been tremendous success for uh, Yannick Sinner, another one of your... Well, I call them protégés, Calvin, but just people... <laughs> I wish they were. I'd be a lot richer. <laughs> you certainly wouldn't be doing a podcast with us at 10 o'clock on Sunday night. Um, but Yannick Sinner having a great run as well. Uh, well, look, first of all, and we'll come on to this later, I hope he gets a coronavirus test that comes back negative. But let's talk about the positive stuff first, which is the tennis that he has played. In some ways, beating Zverev wasn't even the best result, was it? Yeah, he's, he's a phenomenal ball striker. Um, you know, you can see, it. and I know a couple of guys who, I know one of the players I work with played against him um, about 18 months ago, and he was actually 5-1 up in the third set against Sinner. Um, and I was talking to him about it yesterday, and he was saying that, that even then he was he was phenomenal ball striker, striking it huge, but you kind of knew where he was going because he could he could only hit both shots cross court. Mm. His serve was his serve was all right. Decent, solid, but the, both wings were phenomenal. But he couldn't go line on them, and now he's he sort of added those shots uh, into the mix. Um, and yeah, he's a phenomenal player. Um, yeah, George. Yeah, I mean, I'd echo that completely. I mean, it's the power off both wings, I think, that makes him so special. The effortless, you know, when you think about the power in the men's game of a shot, you probably think something like a Del Potro forehand, and you look at Del Potro. Six foot six, massive kind of giant of a man. Sinner seems to be, I mean, I don't have the racket speeds, but he, he seems to be one of the guys who's hitting the ball consistently hard, but also accurately. And it just doesn't look like he's putting in that much effort. He's nowhere near that built. I just think his timing is so superb. Um, he came up, he's a, a skiing champion when he was 14. So he's, you know, clearly just a very gifted, talented sportsman as a whole. Um, and by all accounts, it, he's said to be one of these guys who's never had pushy parents. They've kind of just let him get on with it. 
uh, let the coaches kind of do their work with him and stuff, which I think is quite a rare thing, actually, in tennis for young people coming up. Um, and I remember actually last year in New York, I was in a hotel with a couple of other tennis journalists and Sinner was sat there. Legend. That must have been one of his first um, Grand Slam appearances. I think it was in Vavrinkri played there and lost in five or something. I can't remember exactly. I'll but trust you on that one, George. It, uh, you know, my memory can be wonderful on some of these. Well, I think your memory of that particular trip might be a bit hazy, but that's the question. <laughs> um, but I think he played a, a match with Vavrinka there, if I'm right. And bit, he'd just come to the hotel when he, this was before the draw had been made, I think. If I might be completely wrong here, but he, had a, it, he had a good draw. But, it, but there was just such a, I don't know, it just seemed a very relaxed, kind of chilled family vibe with him. Sometimes you see players walking around. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of kind of tension that looks, you know, it, they're there to do a job and sometimes they're really not enjoying it. They're in a bad moment. I just, I just got the feeling with him that it seemed like such a natural, relaxed family vibe. Everyone seemed quite happy, quite chilled. He's there smiling, walking around. Mm. I, I, I don't know. There just seemed a good demeanour about him. And people I know <laughs> spent time with him say he's just quite a good guy in general he's quite relaxed he, he's obviously it's quite funny you say that working. it's quite funny you say that George because the Italian coach I was speaking to earlier I spoke briefly with him about Sinner and he was saying that he's from a area of Italy and I don't know where it is but he said that there um he explained it to me that Italians are genuinely quite sort of jovial and, and matey with everybody quite sociable but the people from this area of Italy are very serious uh, and they're not easy he explained that they're not like other Italians and well, he said that he, he said Seth Austrians, from the same they almost they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're on the Austrian border, border well he told me where it was but I'd never heard of the place so I couldn't yeah. remember it South, um, South Tyrol I believe it's called right okay what, what's also what, what's also interesting on Sinner though is I heard it on the commentary yesterday when he was playing that they were talking about how his junior ranking uh, he never played any of the junior slams um, and the commentator said he chose not to go that route, which isn't strictly true because he, he, he's actually quite a strange one. Some players don't play many junior tournaments like Nadal, that type of thing. They go straight into the pros. A lot of the Spanish players used to do it, although you're getting more Spaniards now playing junior tournaments. But um, with Sinner, it wasn't that he didn't. Cho- he chose. It wasn't that he chose not to play the, the junior slams. He, he played a lot of junior tournaments. He just didn't win much. <laughs> and that's why he didn't. That's why he didn't play the junior slams. He didn't get into them. Didn't get into because them. because he was you know he was a, a strange late bloomer. And you know I've gone on record as, as before of saying that we we have this idea. People like to say that just because you're a a great junior doesn't mean you're going to be a great professional. It doesn't. But generally, the great professionals tend to be very very good juniors. Mm. You don't see many who are not. Um, even one that I, they always used to say it with Sam Pras, oh, he wasn't a great junior. I, I think he was. I think he was like number six in the world junior. Right? Mm. So he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. Yeah, <laughs> you he, know, wasn't, and, and, he wasn't playing park tennis with his sister. He was, yeah. yeah, and and you look at the players now. You look at Nadal, Federer, Murray, um, Djokovic, Del Potro, Vavrinka. These were all the best juniors in the world at every age coming through. Mm. Right. So, but but Sinner. And I do think he'll end up being, he'll certainly be going top 10, if uh, at the least. He'll be the first one in a while who's actually played a lot of junior tournaments and, and just wasn't very good at juniors. 
I mean, I, I'll say it right now. I'll be very surprised if Sinner's not world number one at some point. Really, yeah. It I mean, I'd be, I'd be, a, I'd be seriously surprised if he's not. I, I think he's got everything about him. Great attitude. Um, I, I don't. I, I'm not going to say he's going to beat Nadal tomorrow, but that'll be a really interesting moment to see how good his mentality is. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I think he's got everything. Uh, he's obviously coming up against the best clay court player of all time. So if he, you know, if he gets 12 games, I think he'll have done quite well. Um, <laughs> Nadal, by the way, I've been crunching some numbers uh, because I sort of, I wrote a thing today um, for the R. You can read it at inews.co.uk. Uh, quick, quick plug. If you want to do it, I can do <laughs> Always it. good. Yeah, always um, good. <laughs> so I, I sort of crunched the numbers on, on, you know, the top three in the men's draw because much is ex- exciting. You know, we've barely even touched on Hugo Gaston. Um, although I did have the Gaston song in my head all week after watching him play. <laughs> no one serves like Gaston. No one hits like Gaston. Anyway, um, <laughs> realistically, the three main guys are all still there, and they're the guys we're expecting to contend for this title in Nadal, Djokovic, and team. Nadal and Djokovic, by the way, have... I mean, I know we're used to it from both of them, but they have pulverised people. Did, I mean, did you get my stats I sent you earlier? That I, was, I, I, I did you read them? My bike and nearly crashed. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> Novak Djokovic has spent six hours twenty four minutes on court total. I mean, has he? I've got I've got six, it as seven thirty two. That's interesting. You and, and Nadal seven fifteen. But they've oh, won yeah. the same number of sets, same number of bagels, same number of games. Djokovic has lost two more games. Um, and the most games they've lost in a set has been four. And most games they've lost in a match has been ten, which I mean, uh, isn't many. They've not okay. They've not been playing great opposition. Um, the, would you like to have a little guess at the average world ranking of uh, Rafa Nadal's opponents so far? Ooh. So who, who's he played? Sixty-five. Oh, I, I, I think it's a lot higher than that because Corder's out by the top two hundred. So I, I, oh, yeah. I go, it's about 130. It's 152. Oh, so wow. effectively, if you want to think of a person, it's like Rafa Nadal has played Ecuador's number one, Emilio Gomez, four times. <laughs> well, so maybe it's not that impre- maybe it's not that impressive. No, but you know, and Novak. While we're going to criticise Nadal's draw, Novak's just spanked Hatchinov today. So I mean, that was a. Yeah. A slightly more impressive opposition on that front. Novak's um, number, by the way, average number is 78. Yeah. Um, so that's like beating Zhao Souza four times, which is a, <laughs> a bit tougher. <laughs> I mean, only marginally. But, you know. but, but to be fair to them, that is often the way, isn't it, for the first three rounds that you would have someone... Well, it isn't, it isn't. You, could, you I mean, can only get... Well, while we're going on the stats, has Djokovic, any, had, has Djokovic beaten anybody who has asked for their autograph immediately after? <laughs> yeah, Nadal has. <laughs> If you missed this, this was... And, then I, 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 um, and got a cat named after him as well. Oh, dear. And it, it was brought to my attention today as well that apparently he put on Instagram or Twitter asking if anybody had any good pictures of him shaking hands with Nadal at the end. Oh, dear. I mean... I, mean, but I think is... he should be banned from slams for that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the problem, isn't it, with, with these guys? Is that, and, and, yeah. You know, we're joking about it now, but this is the issue. Like... When they walk onto court, you're half beaten. As, you know, it's like playing golf against Tiger Woods. You can't do it. You're half beaten. Yeah. Well, it, and, and it was interesting to see 
Kyrgios dig out Corder over this because Kyrgios is one of the few players on this tour that you know he doesn't give a crap about them and he turns up and he kind of says well I, I am actually going to go out here and try and beat you and show you no respect because I'm I'm the bee's knees or whatever um, but yeah I mean Cord- that that was kind of next level ridiculous from Corder really but even worse if it's too much. You know, he can't. I mean, it's, he can't even be starstruck with it. I mean, he's, he's literally his dad is a Grand Slam winner. I'm sure he's met tennis players before. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's it's a bit weak. Um, to say but, like, but, oh, but I mean, again, in other sports, they do it quite often, don't they? I mean, like you have people swapping their shirts in football and <sighs> going on. You know, I do think we may be being a little bit harsh on quarter here, but maybe I'm being a bit sort of softy and nicey. It's not like he did it between <laughs> sets. You know, he, he did at least do it afterwards. You know, up until the point when he lost, he was still competitive. So, well, I mean, he wasn't competitive at any point, but, you know, he was trying. <laughs> um, but but who is against Rafa on clear? Not many. Um, just, by the way, because I did the numbers on um, Nadal and Djokovic, uh, team, by the way, he has played an average of a world number 100, 154. So, technically... I mean, it's partly because Jack Sock is currently world number 300 in the singles, which kind of skews things a little bit. But he's also spent, I think, three hours more on court than either Nadal or Djokovic. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, but I mean, that's effectively playing another game, isn't it? Another match, sorry. Yeah, I mean, team has clearly had a few physical issues here. I mean, I think he's been a bit under the weather. I think his... His match time probably should have been significantly less against Gaston um, mm. if he was perhaps fully fit firing. I mean, Gaston's played a great yeah. tournament. I mean, that really was a brilliant match with Vavrinka. Um, and if he'd have followed that up by coming back from two sets of love down and beating Dominic team, I mean, that would have been two of the most ridiculous results you could imagine on clay. Um, I mean, that would have been ridiculous for anyone. Yeah. Ne- never mind a guy who's ranked outside the top 200. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from team's perspective, I think it's fair to say he, he wasn't well in that match and hopefully he feels a bit better. But from what I've seen so far, you'd have to say Rafa and Novak are the ones. But, you know, I, I go back to this from the start of the tournament. I've said this. No, if Nadal has to go through team and then Djokovic, I can't remember him actually having to do that. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's always avoided yeah. that draw. This is a serious test. If team arrives there in in decent enough shape physically and gives him a proper match and then Novak's there in the final. I mean, that that's going to be a serious workout for Nadal to win this from there. Calvin, I heard you sighing with incredulity. Um, no, I, I think what I was going to say was that if what we thought there were three winners, there are three people who could win at the start, but I think team's been way off so far. I think if he played Nadal tomorrow, I could see him getting destroyed. Mm. Um, I, I, I and I don't think he'll be able to make that improvement in the next week. I, th- I think Nadal will, will be in pretty comfortably. And sadly, that was kind of you know what we said. There were two schools of thought the Monday morning after Dominic Team won the US Open. One saying, well, now he's won a Grand Slam, he can win another. And the other saying, he's just had to win that Grand Slam. He sure as hell can't win another in two weeks' time. And sadly, I yeah. think that, that second one seems to have won out. Is it, and it's, it's worth saying Schwartzman's no pushover as well. He's in really yeah. good form. That, no, that's going to be a lengthy, lengthy quarterfinal. And if team is not 100% physically, that that's going to be a really tough day for him. So he, he could easily fall there. I, I'm not saying he yeah. will, but he could lose that quite comfortably. 
yeah, I think that's a, a more than reasonable point. Speaking of people who've been feeling under the weather, um, Alexander Zverev <laughs> was eliminated, as we said, by Yannick Sinner in four sets and came out with, in the context of the global situation, probably the most stunning quotes I've ever seen. Um, uh, he almost didn't Un- even Until Donald asked. Trump went tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he almost didn't even get asked to say it. And he walked into his press conference and said, I was completely sick after the match with Chechenato in the night. I was compl- I'm completely sick. I can't really breathe. I had a fever as well. I'm not in the best physical state. I probably shouldn't have played. Uh, I mean, I'm still, you know, 24 hours on from reading those quotes. Still pretty staggered. Not only that he had the gall to go out and play, but then almost the arrogance to come out and not even bother to lie about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's arrogance in one way. I, again, I know my mate who works in sports management would be fuming at this. Like, like how somebody has not told him if he was ill, just don't mention that you've been ill. Exactly. Like, I just find that staggering with the, with the agencies and management he must have around him that, that they sort of haven't told him to just not say that. It, it, it's it's beyond belief. I mean, it, yeah, you're right. That's the kind of secondary bit, isn't it? It's like if you, all right, you've decided that you're going to ignore the global public health crisis that is coronavirus and ignore the fact that you've got symptoms of coronavirus and claim in German to your German journalists that you haven't lost your sense of taste or smell and therefore you don't have coronavirus and not go and get an instant test, which you could do because you're lucky enough to get one. You're going to do all of that and then, as you say, not even bother to lie about it. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I almost wrote this today and I, I stopped short of saying exactly, but I do believe it. If I was Craig Tiley, who's just sort of announced the Australian Open to a certain extent, I would be hoping that Alexander Zverev loses his passport. Because I wouldn't want someone like him coming to my tournament with that kind of attitude. He's got form as well, hasn't he? I mean, as well. Sorry, George, go on. I was just going to say, he's got, I mean, he's got form for this. He was part of the Adria tour, which in itself, you know, the behaviour there was one thing. But the, the fact is, once he knew everyone had tested positive, he put out a statement, you know, the PR side of things, apologising. And then he's gone off partying on a boat in Monte Carlo. Having, se- having said he would self-isolate. For two weeks or whatever he was meant to be doing. Um, so, you know, he, he, he's got form for this. And, you know, th- th- this is, again, something we've spoken about with some of these players before. They live just such blinkered, sheltered lives. They don't understand the sacrifices some people are making in all of this. And he, he's up there I'm with not- the worst of them in that sense. But. As, as well, what was odd, having said that, was the way that he played that match as well isn't how you normally play if you were ill. He seemed, certainly from sort of the halfway through the second set, he seemed to be planning on just defending and putting the ball in and keeping Sinner out there as long as possible. Now, if you're ill, then you, you think you're going to go after the ball. And he, he just didn't play in that way. So he, I'm not even sure how ill he was. If <laughs> He didn't play like he was, put it that way. I mean, he's also been playing terribly all fortnight, right? Like, it's not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not like he's been tearing up the clay courts. Been te- um, playing terribly all month, and he still reached the Grand Slam final. Mm. I mean, look, I suppose we have to hope that he tests negative, and I he has, he has, he has, he has, he has tested negative. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, he's extremely lucky, 
And I know that he will think that he's vindicated because he's self-diagnosed as not having coronavirus. Um, I'm really glad for Yannick Sinner because it's one thing to get to your first Grand Slam quarterfinal. It's another thing to play Rafael Nadal. It's another thing to do it at Roland Garros and then have to be thinking about, oh, oh, have I got a cough? Oh, God, have I got coronavirus? It's worth, worth also saying at this point that the French Open haven't covered themselves in glory in this. That's do you all. not think? Not no. at all. They've not been temperature testing every day, which is something you know we have to do to go into the office. You know, yeah. James, you know, that, that's a pretty standard starting point. Um, I think they were saying Zverev's temperature. I mean, is I'm, like I'm thirty-seven point eight or something. So the yeah. futures that that's I'm hard. the futures that oh, I'm yeah, at this week. Are you saying the futures I'm at this week? Seems high. Yeah, it's <laughs> no, it's not me. That's, the, what um, that's what he's his temperature is now. What did he say, James? There's some cute confusion here. Oh, he dropped off. There he is. Hello. Sorry, I got angry. You got angry? <laughs> no, I, just, I don't know what happened. I pressed the wrong button. Yeah, um, yeah he, 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 the lack of temperature testing, which, you know, when you consider everything else that's been put in place, it's so easy to check someone's temperature. Yeah, and I think he'd, he'd not been tested since like the 29th or 30th of September or something. It I kind of think they should be. He got tested. 28th. Result on the 29th. And you have to get another test five days after you get your result. Which, right. you know, um, actually someone's pointing out in the discussion that they were surprised they were only testing every five days. Yeah, um, I agree with is, that. Well, this is something that's been actually raised by the Premier League. Um, they were initially testing players twice a week and then just before the beginning of this season I was on a call with the director of football and the head doctor and they said that they were reducing testing to once a week on the basis that they were getting so few positive tests that they felt that their bio-bubbling and everything that they were doing was you know working and actually a lot of the times when they were getting positive tests it was like you know repeat positives or false positives which can happen long after you've got the virus out of your system. So they felt that actually by doing it once a week, you know, they were somehow getting a more accurate picture. Um, I didn't totally agree with the science behind it, but when a doctor tells you that, you sort of accept it. Um, I I think probably every five days, you know, I don't know how much you're going to gain out of testing twice as often as that. And when you consider the global shortage on testing equipment and testing, you know, reagents and stuff. Anything more than that, you could start to think that's irresponsible. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, personally, I just think if you're putting on these sort of events, you should be taking every single precaution for it because, you know, from what Zverev's done here and by the bubble or lack of bubble they've got in this hotel, you know, it's possible that you're going to lose... I know in the grand scheme of things, okay, if every quarterfinalist went down with coronavirus and the tournament had to be cancelled or whatever, you know, that, that's kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, the French Open should be taking more precautions for me um, when they're all this closely knit, I suppose. Um, but anyway, look, the, the, the bigger issue I actually have with it is the fact they're shirking any responsibility because Zverev should be punished for this. And they're not, they're not taking any action. And this is another problem with tennis in general. There's no overriding body that judges this sort of thing. Like, I know there's the Grand Slam board, but I, I doubt they'll particularly be bothered doing anything about a fine. 
but there, sh- there should be serious consequences for this for Zverev for me. I think this is a serious, serious breach of conduct. Um, what can what what would you do if you were I, just? I, I I would honestly be looking to. I I I personally would ban him from the Australian Open. That's that's my honest position on it. I, mean, I think yeah. I think it's that irresponsible, and the this is just a blatant disregard for rules and for respects of your fellow professionals. I, I, I would ban him from the Australian Open. That, that's my honest opinion on it. And I think there should be a tougher body putting this sort of thing in place because, it, you know, this, they shouldn't, they just shouldn't be mucking around in this period, but maybe you think <laughs> I was too harsh, but I think that's the only way it will nail into these guys' heads because he's, he's, nothing's going to happen as a result of this. And the same thing could happen again in the future. Well, actually, I was thinking, I was talking about this earlier and, you know, saying that these guys, they, they need consequences and they're not getting any. And, you know, we've just had a couple more England footballers who went to a birthday party, which they shouldn't have gone to, and there were too many people there. And it was super irresponsible. And, you know, are there consequences, really? Because even, even Greenwood and Foden, the two England footballers who got a couple of girls into their hotel in Iceland, OK, they got sent home and they missed out on the next England squad, but... In three months' time, there really won't have been any consequences for them. And I think it's the same, you know, Zverev, was, there weren't consequences for his actions last time, so he's going to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, that's it, isn't it? I mean, people will say, that's ridiculous, the band's too harsh, but at the end of the day... We'll, what, he did it what's before the point? He's done it again. What, what's yeah. actually the point having these rules if no one's going to follow it and there's going to be no consequences? Like, what, what's actually... There's no stick here, is there? I mean, it's just a... Or you should follow these rules, but if you break them, who gives it? Mm. Who cares? You know, I, I just think you have to actually... And he's proven twice now he can't be trusted. And as you're saying earlier, with someone like Craig Tiley, I don't, I'm not actually sure he has the power to say he's very can't turn up to my tournament given the yeah. rules that are in place. But if there was an independent body looking at this sort of event in tennis, you you might start getting a bit more fairer, independent sanctions across the sport. Not mm. that I'm saying we need bans all the time or anything. I'm not no, saying no. that. And you, you, maybe people would say a suspended ban would be better, for example. That wouldn't yeah. be terrible. But I'm just saying I, I don't like the lack of accountability, particularly in the current moment. Um, I just want to bring in some comments um, from the discussion. Howard Akumia just chatting about the NBA. Uh, he says, I don't understand why leagues are doing anything other than what the NBA is doing. The NBA has zero cases. Um, the NBA is essentially functioning in one big bubble. Uh, I think they have had a few um, near misses with players breaking out or, you know, breaking protocol. But I, th- I think he's right, and I think they have tried to. I, I looked at Craig Tiley's Australian Open plans today. They are relatively bubbled. You know, I think with a with that many players, you know, the NBA probably has more in each bubble, so I don't think there's any reason they can't do it. Um, we just have to hope that maybe when it gets to January, things are a little bit easier. Um, I think we should move on. Uh, yeah. to some predictions because I'm conscious we've been going for quite some time now. Uh, the quarterfinals are coming up. And as you say, George, how many have we got set now? I'm just seeing if um, Mr. Well, Green, your booster has put well, his he, away. He, he, he's not finished, but he, he's almost finished. We're about two points away. But anyway, I presume for that tie, someone's going to want to take Djokovic anyway. 
So I don't think it really matters whether oh, okay. it's Corona Booster. That's my that's my guess. I might be wrong. Um, so I don't think that matters. The way that we talking. picked the other day, we'd probably both pick Corona Buster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll leave out the one that Ons Jabal is going to be playing in. We'll we'll leave that one out because then we've got okay. an odd number. Um, so should we start with the women? Um, oh, we'll start with the coin toss, I guess. Um, I, I think I might actually have a coin today. So I'm oh, going to actually flip good. the coin so there can be no questioning of my bias on who I'm okay. going to select to win. So we'll let James call this time because I believe Calvin called last time. All right. Uh, tails never fails, obviously. I'll, I'll see if you can hear my coin toss. Uh, tails has failed. It was heads. Oh. Did you hear the coin toss there? Did that yeah, come I heard through? it land. Oh, good. good, good, good. Okay, so that means Calvin... Your first match to pick is one I think you're going to be pleased to pick. <laughs> Iga Sviatek versus Trevisan, the Italian qualifier who was stunned players. Uh, Sviatek <laughs> will win that one. Yeah, Sviatek. wasn't a hard, uh, uh, impressive hard sell from you, George. But yeah, I try my best. Incidentally, because just because I love it when this happens. Um, even if she loses, Trevisan is going up 76 places in the world rankings next week. Yeah, good from for her. Previous career high of 144 to 83 in the world. And I, th- I think in most of her yeah, matches, I mean, I think, you know, she's been down and come back as well. She's she's actually shown some real grit at this tournament. Mm. I think as well, what people don't realise about that, that sort of difference in ranking from, from that to what she's gone to, that will, financially, that's huge for her because that will get her into first round of pretty much all the Grand Slams next year. And that's yeah. about, in total, that's about 200 grand. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. yeah that's and if she loses know, every first round in all of those. 200 wow. grand. Okay. Can we just re- read out the players she's beaten, by the way? I mean, Coco uh, yeah, Goff, she... Maria Sakari, Kiki Burton. I mean, that's a serious list to come through. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's Kiki not been handed that. Who I thought was in pieces uh, after can... that. Weird match. Can, can we remember well, once we've done the predictions? I want to t- talk briefly about that something that happened in that match with um, Sakari. Um, I'll make the note. A rule that I have a real gripe about. Ooh, yeah. It's a gripe. rule that I have a real gripe about in tennis. Don't go anywhere, okay. ladies and gentlemen. Right. <laughs> Angry rant incoming. Okay. Yeah. Right. The second round that is Mr. James Gray's prediction is Svitolina versus Argentina's Podoroska. <laughs> The other qualifier in the quarterfinal <laughs> draw. I mean, um, it's it's a no-brainer for Svitolina. I think I think that's a fair choice. I mean, I, think... po- I, I don't even know how Podoroska's made. Was she from the really awful quarter where everybody lost? Pretty much. I think she was in Serena and Azarenka's bit. Yeah, exactly. Venus and Serena, yeah. Yeah. Um, Next, so we're, so we're skipping Kenin, so mm. we guarantee a winner. No <laughs> draws in this. This is tennis. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Petra Kvitova and Laura Siegmund. Oof. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't realise Kvitova was still in the tournament. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'll pick her. <laughs> I'll pick Kvitova. <laughs> Gone so under the radar. No, I'm, I'm, I, cor- I correct myself there. I correct myself there. I got her mixed up with the other one who I always mix her up with. Um, I forget her name, the German girl. No, it's the German girl. Reach books. 
No, you mean I Benkovic. knew it was a bit, I Benkovic. Yeah, I, I, did, I thought you meant her. I did know Kavita was still in the tournament. I'm sorry. <laughs> but James, you'll be pleased to see Sigamund on your card again. She's served uh, yeah, you well. I think she's done me well. She, I mean, I did pick her against Mladenovic. So, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly take her. I mean, she dropped quite a lot. She dropped sets against Georges and Petra Martic, but it's okay. Uh, yeah, why not? Uh, certainly, uh, Petra has not been the Grand Slam quarterfinals in 2012 so why not there we go okay Karina Buster I think did just win I didn't actually see him hit the final ball but they've gone back to the studio and I presume Altmaier didn't just win two sets in <laughs> three <laughs> sets <laughs> presumably didn't get that done in five minutes so I think it's Novak Djokovic versus Pablo Karina Buster mm. well is that I me the um- I no, the it's James yeah James sorry yeah. I'll be pleased can I pick the umpire no <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, I'm taking Djokovic. Yeah, um, as long as sure. He, well, as long as he keeps his toys in his pram, he'll be fine. Sure. Well, Karina yeah. Buster did. Karina Buster said the other day that he's the second best clay court player in the world, and he thinks what? he'll beat anybody on clay other than Nadal. Oh, he thinks that he himself is the second best clay court player in the world. Yeah, yeah, he said he he thinks he considers himself to be the second best clay court player in the world, and the only player who thinks he's better than on a clay who better than him on a clay court is Nadal. I mean, that's quite bold for a bloke who's just got into his second ever French Open quarterfinal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, just, he, I'm pretty just, sure just he lost to Nadal in the, in the last one. one. I think he lost to Nadal in the <laughs> last one. lucky. <laughs> yeah, right, mate. You okay. can tell yourself that. Well, more fool you when Karina Busters turns Djokovic over yeah, when we next well, speak. Okay, the next one is pretty good match on paper. Andre Rublev versus Stefanos Tsitsipas. This is Calvin. Uh, I think Tsitsipas will win that. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I didn't want Rublev. <laughs> I mean, I never want Rublev. Rublev struggles with... Rublev struggles, tends to struggle with skillful players because I know the, the, the players don't consider him to be overly skillful and mm. there's not many more skillful than Tsitsipas. Good, excellent. So, James, you, you've got a pretty tricky one, actually. I think this is the hardest men's one to call, yeah, given yeah. team situation. Team Schwartzman. Oh, I think... Are you going to be brave, or are you going to go with the favourite? Oh, come on. Don't bait me like that. <laughs> uh, I know what I'd do. Yeah, well, I know what you'd do as well. But Go for the favourite, but say the underdog could win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you literally have said that. Um... Schwartzman. I'm going Schwartzman. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's teams like 15th five-set match in the last three and a half weeks or something. Like, he must fall to pieces. He, okay. hasn't got, he hasn't got Gunter making him run up mountains with rocks on his back anymore. <laughs> He's lost that hardy edge. Okay. All right. So, you're taking... See, I haven't been writing these down, but I'm hoping no, I'm we're going to remember these. Right. I'm taking Diego Schwartzman. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's fine. Um, and now, Calvin, not to bait you as well, but you're surely not going to pick against Janik Sinner again, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to, yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> going to. Are you sure? Yeah, at the end of the end, Nadal's going to win that. What, 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 what's the score in that going to be? Uh, I think it'll be sort of maybe two close sets and then he goes away with the third. Okay. Maybe but... sort of six or maybe like six, four, and two, something like that. Okay. 
I mean, taking Nadal to a tiebreak, frankly, feels like an achievement at the moment. Oh, did you? Sorry, yeah. I, I misheard that. You're t- saying he's going to get to a tiebreak. Yeah, that, I mean, that would be a remarkable achievement <laughs> in itself. <laughs> I mean, it could be five, you know, like a five, 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 and one or something like that wouldn't surprise me. But I think two close sets and a comfortable one. Okay. All right. Well, I I have to say, I think Calvin's probably in the stronger position here again. But James yeah, throwing away his Dominic team card. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite happy he took Schwartzman there, if I'm honest. It's yeah. fine. So I like to live dangerously, live on the edge. Um, but, speaking on the edge, we're on the edge of what's an acceptable time for a podcast, but we've got time for a Calvinism. We're definitely making <laughs> this, this my, well, the, Definitely making this a Right. So, so this is a group, this came to, to, this was highlighted the other day in the Sakari. Who, was, who did Sakari lose to? Again, George? Um, she lost to Trevis. Trevisa. Trevisian, that's it. Trevisian, that's it. Yeah. Um, Trevisian. But it's something I've, it's something that's, that's sort of, I've had a gripe about for a long while, whether it be Hawkeye or in a clay court. On, on the Italian girls' first match point, Sakari hit a ball out. It wasn't called out, and Treviso didn't stop the point. She hit another shot, and she ended up losing the point. And she couldn't, then she looked down and saw the mark was out, but she couldn't go back to it because that's the rule. And it's the same with Hawkeye. You have to check it on the net before the point carries on, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You have, you to, have, stop to, it have to stop in it. That yeah. Circuit. yeah. Right. Now, I don't think that should be on the player. I think you should be able to finish the rally and in that circumstance do it because the rules are in tennis. You've got to hit the ball between the, over the net and between the lines. If, if Sakari's hit the ball out, She's lost the point and she's lost the match. That's not on the player to then have to sort of make a call whether they risk losing the point on that. So are you I'm, kind of calling for a VAR check for the entire point? Is that yeah, kind of what kind, we're saying? kind of. I mean, it wouldn't happen very often, but I don't think the players should have to make the decision to end the point. Hmm. That's too much for them to consider. You know, the, the rules of tennis are you have to hit the ball over the net and you can't win a point after you've hit a ball out. I guess the issue on clay would be that if, say, there were another 20 shots hit, finding that mark would be a bloody nightmare, wouldn't it? They'd, they'd have to yeah, have a kind of clay. Possibly, yeah, but then, it? yeah, possibly, you know, and then if we go Hawkeye. But I think it's the same on Hawkeye. I have a real issue with it that the player has to, it shouldn't, I don't think that pressure should be on the player to, to be able to do that. I think they should be able to finish the point, and then if it goes, if it turns out that someone's hit the ball out, now it's different. If they choose to stop it and they think it's out, then, you know, they should lose the point. But you, you could make it quite fun by having a big red button in front of the coaches in the stand. And if they want to, <laughs> to kind of challenge at one point where they think the ball's out, they slam their hand on the big red button. I mean, then the umpire knows exactly the moment to check. That would be quite fun. If you think about it, though, if, if, she, if she would have ended up losing that match the other day, I mean, had match point and Sakari has hit a ball out, that's just, that's just ludicrous. Because yeah, that that she, she has won that match. So, she won the match. You know, she had a match point, so Carrie hit the ball out on match point. The line judge didn't call it, and then when you're match point up, are you really going to take that risk over a, 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 you know, a sort of two millimetre call? So, I mean, so very briefly as well, I mean, Djokovic has called for no line judges full stop. Would you be on board with that, someone involved? What's your um, thoughts on that? I, I think that, that it may happen sooner or later. You just wonder, like, what's the advantage of keeping them? Um, 
I'm not saying that I, I, you know I quite like them being there. I think it you know in that in that respect. But now we've sort of seen that it works without them. I think it, it wouldn't surprise me if in two or three years' time we are at that position. I, I think, think tournaments will keep them. Wimbledon will always keep them. It's very much in Djokovic's favour to get rid of them, of course. <laughs> and it, he, he did actually say that himself with a bit of a wry <laughs> yeah. smile. He did actually say that, yeah. But I, right. I, the the one thing I would say that perhaps doesn't fit his overall mantra is if he's meant to be supporting the small guy. I mean, these poor guys have trained up for this whole career that yeah. they want to do. I mean, I, I do think there's something that gets a bit lost in that, that there are people who want to be involved in these sports who are often the first ones to go. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. Th- yeah. I, I think that is, there's a human element to it as well, isn't it? I mean, it's nice to have people involved in these sports, isn't it? I mean, these guys are dedicated professionals. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, um, I, th- I think like I said, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want them to, um, to get rid of them, but I kind of think they might, they might do, they might figure it's a, it's a way to, what Djokovic is, you know what Djokovic is thinking, if we don't pay the umpires, that's more money in the prize pot than we know who's <laughs> winning the tournaments. That's 100% what he'll be thinking. Yeah. We'll have ball kids out the window and then soon. And, um, and, you know, God knows what will be next. He'll be, he'll be wanting to dictate how much the tickets cost. <laughs> well, maybe just, he can umpire. He's a very good umpire. So. Yeah. He's, he's very good. Just, um, just before we go as well, I suppose we should update our women's predictions at least, given I think we were all Halep, weren't we? Has, has anyone got someone oh, yeah. who was picking a player who wasn't Halep? No, I that? desperately tried to. I, I sort of like... You didn't take Schmiedel over. And no. She, she did pretty well, but she didn't quite get there. Uh, well, George, you've clearly got um, a prediction burning a hole in your pocket, so why don't you go first? I actually don't really. I mean, I, 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 quite, I quite fancy one of Sviatek or Svitolina. I fancy mm. someone in that top half. I mean, Sevilla Kennan's the only player I said would reach the semi-finals who's still in the draw, and she's the one player I was least confident about doing that. Um, so I suppose I could go with her, but I watched her today against Ferro, and she was pretty poor for it. She, she, she did work it out, to be fair, um, but I wasn't totally convinced. I think she might struggle against one of Jabor or Collins, to be honest. So I, I, I'm going to go for... Oh, am I going to go for Sphiotech or am I going to be a bit more boring and go for Svitolina? I'm going to go for Sphiotech. I'm going for Sphiotech. Why not? Uh, Calvin, what about you? Um, I mean, it is an absolute crapshoot. Um, you always say women's tennis is. Yeah, um, totally. Without any confidence whatsoever, I think that um, Svitolina will win it. I mean, <laughs> it, it, can I just tell you something quite interesting? That Sphiotech is the bookie's favourite. Yeah. Which, I mean, how often can it have happened that an unseeded player walks into a quarterfinal and she's she's the actual favourite for the whole damn shooting match? Um, I uh, I like Petra Kvitova. I've always liked Petra Kvitova. Um, she obviously knows what she's doing when it comes to the late stage of Grand Slams, which, you know, OK, it's been a long time ago, but I think that's really going to pay off you know, in, in a situation like this where you've got so many women who really haven't been here before. So uh, I'd, I'd like to see her do it as well, just because I think, you know, she's a bit of fun and a bit of a throwback and everything's happened. I think it would be quite nice, but uh, I don't know. 
Yeah. So just to clarify there, James, you're, I think you're just hedging your bets from the other prediction game because I think, <laughs> I think you need Sigmund to win that to have a chance of winning it's, the other prediction game. I oh, think you've kind of hedged doing, your bets. James is, doing, James is copying off his mate Rosetsky that. The Rosetsky who manages to pick every single person in the draw and then boast about him picking them. Well, I, should, I, should, I didn't pick Laura Sigmund, to be fair. Yeah, but I, you, do, you are a big Laura fan. Sigmund. I didn't pick her on this occasion. I picked Prima Spurfin, pick her in the quarterfinals. So, you know, I, what are you going to do? I, I call them as I see them and usually don't think either side of it. Uh, right, it's late and we've been here a long time. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, taking part, for um, giving us your comments and discussions, Andrew Jones, to Howard Acumia, um, to Courtney Gardner. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, and we'll be back here probably about the same time next Monday. Uh, well, I'll be collecting some prediction winnings, I'd have thought. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Cheers, lads. Cheers, Calvin. See you later. Bye, guys. Cheers, lads. Always a pleasure. Bye. See you later. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.